Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. To another episode of the Backdoor Cut Show. Thanks for tuning in and listening to us. Uh, We actually are starting our own RSS feed over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those places. You can now find us under our actual podcast name, Backdoor Cut Show. We'll also have some of our back catalog um, under the Barn Burner Podcast Network, which is where you are probably listening to us now. But just wanted to let you know that we're expanding. Going to be over there. All our future episodes, you'll be able to find us by searching Backdoor Cut Show. Uh, I'm Zach. With me today, I have Mason and Sam, and we're going to talk through some of our favorite Memphis Tigers of our lifetime. And because uh, a question was posed on Twitter this weekend with Precious Achua declaring for the draft of where does he rank among your favorite Tigers? Uh, he's quickly become a fan favorite uh, with all that he dealt with, the way he stepped up, became the alpha on the this Memphis Tigers team on a shortened season. Uh, so we kind of searched our hearts, came up with some answers for that, and we'll just kind of toss the ball around a little bit more on some other topics. Mason, how are you? I'm doing well, man. Uh, actually work at a COVID-19 testing site today, directing a little traffic, helping people get checked in and stuff. So it felt like I was, uh, you know, giving back to my community, I guess, in a way. Uh, it's hot as hell, though. It's about 92 degrees out here in Southern California on uh, blacktop so but you know mm. whatever i'll take one for the team when it comes to that did uh, you get tested i did not get tested i've i've been feeling great so um and we had a long line of cars so i felt like you know other people needed it more than me right now um and you know they say it's kind of a gnarly process so yeah, I, I, I was yeah. intrigued if they would have offered me the opportunity like at the end like yo we got one extra you want to get tested <laughs> like, i'd have done it <laughs> Have either one of you had a flu test before? Because I think it's essentially the same thing. I have not, but I know what the gist is. Uh, yeah, stick I have the gauze either. up your nose. Yeah, I've had the I've had sinus surgeries though when they put the packing up in your nose to stop the bleeding, and so it's like that where they pull when they pull it out eventually after it's been in there for days, it oh. feels like they're pulling gauze out of your like brain because the sinus cavities are way up here. Uh, so it does feel bizarre and pretty terrible. But they always make me laugh thinking about all these NBA players like that night that the Thunder and Jazz game got canceled, and they all had to get tested in their locker room. And like, you know, Rudy Gobert's like over off the side, and everyone's pissed at him, and they're getting like things shoved up their nostrils. Like that would suck, and that would have had to have been quite a sordid scene uh, there in the there in Oklahoma City. Man, no kidding, that is funny to think about. Mm. <laughs> like as all of them watching each other, like get yeah. it up their nose and stuff. Nowhere to go. I'm sure some people really hated it. Maybe one guy got nauseous and they made fun of him. Like I'm sure that it, it was. Imagine having to get like a checkup in front of everybody, like your teammates. Uh, that'd be a crazy night for sure. Yeah. And I know we've said this many times, but thank God Rudy Gobert tested positive when he did and was acting as childish as he was because like it really brought a light to what yeah, brought what awareness. Was, um, Way to go. <laughs> and do not inject uh, cleaning products into your bloodstream. Just don't do it. Yeah. Not advised. We're, yeah, we've been we've been doing that for years at the frat house. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Scarlet <laughs> bubbles fixes everything. It goes yeah. on glass. It goes on like your bed. It goes on like well, yeah, you know, yeah, everything. Time to shower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just do a little Axe body spray behind the ears, ready to go. Frame rinse with scrubbing bubbles. Nice. Mm. All right, so. Precious Achua, 
uh, I assume that uh, based on conversation we had that we both think very highly of him after this season. Yeah. He made, he made a big impression on each and every one of us uh, with all that he went through, the way he emerged, the way that he kind of been an ambassador for the team, at least, you know, outwardly been an ambassador for the team in the city, you know, done great things. That being said, you know, there's always people are asking, you know, what are your favorite, what's your favorite Tigers lineup of all time, that kind of stuff. Well, I can't relate to a lot of that because a lot of the good times, you know, the 70s, I was not born in the 70s. So I'd be lying if I said that, like, those guys were on my favorite team. So we kind of decided to start in the, the Calipari era. So the 2000, 2001, we were all old enough to be more aware of what was going on. Uh, well, what it, I'm going to interrupt you there, Zach. What do you think are the criteria to make a good tiger? Like you personally, what? So me, like, what is my, like, why do I think someone is a favorite? Yeah. Uh, they all kind of have different things. For some reason, some people just stick out in my memory more than others. They're all decent players, decent to good players. Um, a lot of them that I have stayed multiple years. I don't think. Uh, Precious will probably be my only one and done, I think, unless I'm missing someone. Uh, and yes, none of, not all of them were like on particularly good teams. Uh, so it's kind of all over the board. There's ra- different reasons at different points in my life that I remember them. Yeah, so my, not a good answer. Some of mine is, you know, based on their own court play. All, none of my guys are garbage, but. Um... It's also just like what attracts me to like it on me. I mean, y'all know my style. I kind of like the guys who go get buckets and we'll talk mm-hmm. shit. And mm-hmm. so, so I think we, we all will probably have, you know, some different favorite tigers, even though Zach did all the research. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like you, you have more favoritism towards the guys maybe when you were in college as well. Like, the, Definitely, the, the years that we were there, the years that we went to the, down to the forum on our student tickets and found places to park and made our way there, but um, or waited, you know, waited overnight to get into certain games or whatever be the case. But the, there's a little camaraderie there, and then there's certain eras of high school growing up here too, where you know the 2004 to 2008 period of time, which were kind of the heyday of the Tigers, where it was like you could it permeate, it truly permeated and captured everyone in the city. Um, so that I remember that pretty pretty well as well, but. Um, yeah, I, I haven't really thought about my criteria, but I don't have any bums for sure. And I favor guys that I was in college for. And I also favor guys that were like really good ambassadors of the program. Enjoyed being here. And then, you know, still claim us. You go forward and talk about us still. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and at least have at some point like come back to the program or, you know, played some part. So uh, with, with that, Zach, why don't you kick us off? I, I just right. have five. I just have a starting five. Oh, uh, okay. I got... I kind of went through year by year and pulled out the guys that um, stuck out to me. So starting at the very beginning, you know, 2000, 2001, uh, I, some reasons I was drawn to guys around this age is I would, my parents, or not parents, my grandparents were big Memphis Tiger basketball fans, as a lot of people's grandparents are in this age or in this area. Uh, you know, you're surprised that how many people have connection to the program uh, but it really does have such deep roots in the city, and it's something that you know, I've talked to people. And I'm like, you were a season ticket holder. Like, I had no idea you even like sports. But like, you, you know, in the '70s, you were a season ticket holder. So that's something I found is pretty cool. It was kind of the thing to have. Like, it was like the status symbol in the city, and even still, like, the, let's be honest, the crowd in a Memphis Tigers game is 
generally white upper class. You know, it, it, it is a different crowd than the Grizzlies, for example, which is probably a better representation of the city at large. But Tigers has always kind of been a different crowd. There's, there's quite a few of the rebounders, quite a few of the old boosters that are there still. And it is a, a different energy, but um, it is just still part of the city. Even uh, upstairs, like it's, it's, you know, it's not as uh, eclectic as you would think upstairs at those right. Tigers games. It is, it is interesting. And uh, I mean, I, a lot of people are longtime season ticket holders. Like you mentioned, like people that are grandparents age on down, kind of passing seats down and, you know, like as if it's like something you bequeath in your will or whatever. Uh, so uh, it is different, but it's still part of the process, I guess. Uh, but so you got into it because your grandparents uh, and you're talking about 2001. Yeah. So the, a couple of guys <laughs> segue uh, to start, to start with Kelly Wise. I don't know if you guys remember him. So I was a, a post player at that point. I was tall for a 10-year-old, but not tall for a 14-year-old. But I was always the small post guy. He's not small, but I always like was interested in post players. Uh, so Kelly Wise was one of those guys. He was you know, a three-, four-year guy, averaged 15 points one season. Uh, another one in, around that era, late, kind of late 90s, and then up into that 2001, Marcus Moody. Yeah. I, for some reason in my mind, you know, going and looking at the numbers now, it's not like crazy, but he took over four three-point attempts per game. He only shot 31%, but for some reason, my like 11-year-old brain thought Think that of him as a shooter was, still. Yeah, thought he was like Reggie Miller. Mm. Like that's who I would compare him to in my mind at that point. Okay, well, so I got a little different take on it than you. Because I didn't grow up in Memphis, and Memphis basketball wasn't really on the map to me until the 07-08 season when they made the run to the national title game. Um, So I don't – all these guys, I know their names just through Memphis basketball conversation and debates that I had, you know, every day for five, six years when I lived there. Um, But my – First pick is going to be controversial, and y'all, y'all, y'all probably don't have this guy on your teams. Antonio I'm, Barton. No, I'm taking <laughs> close. I'm taking my boy, the King of Memphis, Joe Jackson, number one. He, I've got him. Okay, that's not controversial, man. Joe. Yeah, he's a uh, people yeah. don't fuck with Joe, man. People don't fuck with Joe. I can't even sugarcoat it. They, a lot of people don't like Joe. Yeah, is it off? Is it the off the court post Tiger stuff? No, plays into it a little bit, it or was just more of the on the, the court. You know, like he had to sit out that game to think about if he was going to transfer, and like took a break from the team, and uh, just kind of never really materialized into what Miffians expected he was going to be coming out of high school. Which we thought, I mean, Allen Iverson was like the dream at the time for what Joe I, Jackson was going to be. Wasn't even the dream that that was the reality the media painted. You yeah, know, he was a, a top five kid in the country, five star. Like everyone said that he was the most exciting guy they ever watched play high school basketball. You see him and Kyrie Irving doing battle and all of the AAU circuits yeah. and, and compared his equals. So, I mean, it wasn't even like we were just dreaming. It was what was told to us. Right. And, you know, obviously that didn't happen. Joe hasn't even, you know, played a game in the NBA. So, but I just thought, you know, he brought it uh, when he needed to tournament time. You go back to that freshman year when he single-handedly won us the conference tournament down in uh, UTEP. Uh, And then I think we won three more conference tournaments with him, if I'm not mistaken. And he was always, you know, one of the guys. The second year, Will Barton was huge in that uh, tournament. Um, But just Joe brought it every night, was fearless, would attack you at the rim, uh, the block on the big kid from Gonzaga. 
in uh, that. Oh, yeah. That's an iconic Tigers moment yep, I, on I, college I, game day with uh, Jay Bielis on the call. I mean, yeah. that's that's an iconic college basketball moment, actually. Yeah. Like that so, shows up in in uh, when they do video highlights. I, I've seen it since then. So Joe Jackson is uh, the king of Mason's list and still the king of Memphis. K O M. Uh, I guess I'll go. Yeah, I'll go with the one spot. So for my one spot, I have a guy that was there my freshman year um, and, and was there to kind of ease the transition between the Derrick Rose championship team and, and the, the still last year of Calipari. Uh, and that is Tyreek Evans, uh, who had a, a, a storied NBA career and didn't have a necessarily a great stop here in Memphis towards the end of it. But uh, with the Grizzlies. But when he was here with the Tigers, I remember initially he was started at the shooting guard small forward spot. And we kind of wanted him to be a wing player. And then eventually about 10, 15 games into the season, probably about 10 games, I think we lost three games or so, weren't as good as, you know, preseason top five like we were picked. And Cal Perry shifted into the point guard, put the ball in his hands, and then we didn't lose again. Uh, and then ended up with a three seed in the tournament and beat a ton of really good teams that year. And then, you know, we're picked to go far in the tournament with a guy like that. It was basically the same team back a year older, and then you throw Tyreek in there instead of Derrick Rose, who's just as talented as a college basketball player. Uh, and then we end up losing to a, a weird Kim English Mizzou team in the Sweet 16. But in that game, Tyreek was the only one that played. He was the only one that seemed to care. And he had yeah. 30-something points, and I'll, I'll never forget that, really appreciating that, his effort you know, for the team. And a lot of people say it was because he was the only one that wasn't hungover because he didn't drink at that point, ironically. Uh, and the rest of the team <laughs> went out. <laughs> and the rest of, Cal let the rest of the team go out the night before because he knew he was already going to Kentucky. That's classic Tiger conspiracy bullshit. But um, they did look hungover if you rewatch it. So Tyreek Emmons is my – I'm putting him at the one where he, he belonged uh, with the Memphis Tigers. Damn, we yeah, we might I I might have forgotten how good Tyreek was down the stretch of that year. You just brought back some memories. Yeah, Tyreek's up there for me too. He, it's easy to underrate him too because like then we had Passner and then we had Joe and them for the last two years. So it was like he just kind of was in there a freshman year. We I didn't make it to a ton of games my freshman year. I don't know why. Like it was just like you just didn't have I mean I had a car, but I don't know. Like I we were busy with fraternity stuff and like figuring out college. So I didn't make it to as many as I wished, but I do remember like he was every bit as exciting as Derek Rose was. Uh, and, you know, then he goes into the league and is rookie of the year looks to be yep. following in. I mean, think about that. We got back to back rookie of the years uh, in the draft and seems to be following in, uh, in Derek Rose's footsteps. And then I specifically remember being at RP tracks, shout out RP tracks and the Kings were playing the Grizzlies uh, Tyreek's rookie year. And he hits a, a, uh, three quarter court or three, you know, whatever from the opposite free throw line, like a three to win the game, like a, yeah. in a wild shot. And I remember thinking like, damn, Tyreek's come back to haunt us somehow. But uh, shout out Tyreek. Cause we didn't pick him. Yeah. Oh, we could have, right. Cause we yeah. had the, uh, that was uh 2009. So that's when we picked. Well, let's not talk about that. Yeah. Mm. All right, Zach, take us back down memory lane. All right. I got a couple oldies, but goodies. Uh, Chris Massey. And Antonio Burks. Okay. So we got a big man and a guard. Uh, Massey, a little undersized center, six eight, real physical, kind of kind of a doughy guy. Not, uh, but he still got the job done. His senior year, he averaged uh, tw- or sixteen and ten. So big impact guy in those early Cal years. Also, Antonio Burks, little point guard, averaged sixteen and five his final year. Uh, I remember him, he had a very distinct shot to me. He would bring the ball up on his offside. I think he was right-handed, so he'd bring the ball up on his left side, and it seemed almost like how uh, Lonzo shoots, kind of. 
like brought the ball all the way in front of him before he would shoot it, before he would release. I vividly remember that. Uh, he had a little bit, a little stint in the NBA. I believe he played, suited up for the Grizzlies there for yeah. a little bit. Um, but I think those he was are drafted two. by the Grizzlies. Massey? Oh, no, no, no. I, th- I thought you were talking about uh, Burks. Yep, yeah, well, I, I'm not sure. I can't say. Didn't look that part up. I don't I don't remember the Grizzlies as much during that time as I do Memphis stuff. Right. Like off, off the dome, at least. Uh, but those are you know a couple other good guys that I had on my list. Uh, I'll go two for one. Who's got the next one? Uh, so I get I get I can go. I got uh I'll go with my down low guys. I got Precious Achua and Diedrich Lawson down low mm. in my, on my first team. Uh, Diedrich his freshman year, I loved watching him play so much because. It was so the game was so easy for him. Even though it was hard for him to score, he still averaged 16 points and like nine rebounds as a freshman. And I was just like, this kid's going to be amazing. Like he's gonna, probably going to stay two or three years, go to the NBA, um, and just. I, and I had watched him grow up through high school as well, going to his high school games. So he was like um, one of the first ones I really got to do that with like watch as a young buck in high school as a freshman and then see him come play for the Tigers. Cause with Joe, I only got like a senior year, uh, maybe his junior year too. But yeah. so I really love Diedrich hate the way it ended obviously and hate that he was never on a team that was really competitive, like at all. Um, so I can understand if you can knock him to not be in the first team for that. Um, Cause winning should play a part, but I just thought he was, you know, surrounded with shitty tools in his shed. <laughs> he didn't have a lot to work with, and so teams just focused on him. And, uh, of course, the second year with Tubby and his dad, all the things going off the court, going on off the court with that. Um, and then, like, the Tigers just started getting blown out by 30 every game to close out his final season. So definitely left a sour taste in his mouth. But when things were going well, like, I loved watching Dietrich Lawson play. Um, so I got him on there, and then Precious, I mean – we talked about Precious all season. Just a relent, another relentless guy. Didn't want to lose. Did what he had to do to help the team, and which was probably also best for him, even though he didn't realize that playing down low um, was good for him. Um, he was still able to develop his game, get some outside shots, and you know try to drive against defenders. And that that was the one shortfall of his game. He was a go-to guy that couldn't get you a bucket down the stretch on his own. Um, but you know, excited to see what he does at the next level. And yeah, man, shout out to Precious. He's he he's in my top five Tigers since the post Calipari era. Um, to answer the Twitter question that started this discussion, Precious is up there, man. And you know, he could have really made a run for that number two spot if we would have had a conference tournament and he led us to a win. And then you know, a win in the NCAA tournament. Um, I think he would have vaulted up people's uh, Tiger history books, but now I'm kind of worried he might be forgotten about similar to Tyreek. Yeah, maybe so. Um, so the two guard, I have a, a kind of the first big star that we had uh, for the Memphis Tigers in the post-Cal period, which is Dewan Wagner. Uh, one of the Ooh. first like five-star guys that Cal was able to bring. His uh, got in bed with World Wide West. The rest was history. Uh, hired Dewan Wagner's dad or uncle or someone to be on the staff. Uh, I believe, and it was kind of the first little bit of that. Uh, Cal Perry willing to deal him from the get-go. Uh, Dwan Wagner had an insane freshman year, but one of the most storied freshman years in 
Memphis Tiger basketball history. I think he averaged close to 20 points a game uh, and, and was unstoppable scoring the ball uh, and just looked looked like an NBA player amongst boys. Another one of those guys that came into Cal's office and you know reportedly wanted to come back. And Cal said, like, dude, I'm pulling your scholarship. Like, you're going to the league. Goes to the league, gets drafted in the lottery, and a lot of people are looking for him to be kind of the next, like, two-card scorer. And uh, he had a bunch of health problems, like bizarre heart issue, I think. Uh, kind of a Chris Bosh type deal where, like, you know, extenuating circumstances kind of ended his career too early. But a lot of people were really excited about him. The team wasn't that good, but he was really exciting. And I think the beginning of what we saw Memphis basketball become, which was, you know, two or three guys that are like sophomore juniors that have been there. And then you bring in a freshman phenom spark plug to carry the team beyond, you know, further than we'd ever been. Um, so that Dwan Widener at the two. That's a good pick. Going digging back into the bucket, I got uh, Rodney Carney was a tire from 02 to 06. Over his career, he averaged 14 points, five rebounds. He have he took seven three point attempts his senior year, which is a pretty oh, significant wow. number. Stretch yeah, four, yeah. He, for for uh, that that era, I mean, that's 15 years ago. That was not very common, and he shot 36 percent uh, in his career from three. Won a title with the Heat too. <laughs> He won an right. NBA championship with the uh, and played some minutes on that 2006 Heat team. Earl Barron also has a title with the Heat. Mm-hmm. Little fun. <laughs> uh, they that got like three. No? no, Earl Barron was not my pick. <laughs> I did kind of like him a little bit, but that wasn't my pick. I feel uh, like when I got to Memphis in 2008, Carney was everyone's favorite Tiger at that mm-hmm. time. Like that's what it felt like. Yeah, he he was a, a fun guy, six seven. I mean, could do a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Uh, next, I had CDR, uh, who averaged eighteen points in his final years. A Tiger from 05 Damn. to 08. Um, I, for some like those guys kind of remind me of each other, so I could really like both their games. And then coming a little bit more recently, DJ Steffens. I think that I man, he was just exciting. He was a good story. You know, the under-recruited guy. Uh, was he a JUCO transfer? No, he was he a two-star. A, two-star yeah. kid from Texas. Yeah. He, he was a last-minute offer when Passner took the job. He had to fill out a roster. And, like, yeah. a, some AAU connection he had called him and said, hey, I got this kid. Could jump out of the gym. No skill. Passner's like, sign him up, man. I, I don't have anybody <laughs> on this team. Yeah, he he quickly became a fan favorite. Yeah, of, his of high Tigers. flying dunks, of course. Yeah, play also sat on the bench for the Grizzlies, played for the Hustle a little bit, but mostly you know he's played and had a successful basketball career. Plenty of dunk contest championships overseas and All Star mm-hmm. games, and I mean, I he's got to be up there for most highlights ever as a Tiger. I mean, whether it was a crazy dunk off an alley-oop or, you know, just a ridiculous block, blocking someone's shot into the stands. Like, even if you couldn't see, you could feel the energy when DJ Steffens made a huge play in FedEx Forum. Like, they're not much like it. Not Anyone who was able to see him play, there's no way he's not on your favorite Tigers list, I feel like. Yeah, he just brought such a – I mean, we we haven't seen anyone like that in a Tiger uniform. And all the all these guys – He dunked on so many people, yeah. right? <laughs> like shitted on people. And then uh, I have Joe Jackson as well. Uh, another guy, a, a more recent guy, probably one of the 
the lone bright spots brought uh, during the Tubby era, Jeremiah Martin. Yeah. So, I mean, really, he's, before Precious, the guy who meant the most to me. That really, he elevated his game every single year. He got better. Uh, now he's with the, he's in the Nets farm program. He's on their G League team. So hopefully he gets a crack in the league. Uh, he was a buck. I mean, we won't forget those two seasons where he was just a bucket getter, where he got back-to-back 40-point games, um, almost helped us beat Texas Tech early on in the season when Texas Tech goes to a Final Four. Uh, he was just a really fun guy, hometown guy. Uh, so he made it up there on my list as well. And then round, my final guy is Precious for the reasons we've mentioned. Yeah. Who are you guys saying? Uh, yeah, I, I got to put Antonio Anderson in there. Uh, yeah. He was he was kind of a, just a stalwart throughout the rock throughout those those elite a elite a championship years. Uh, was there along with Chris Douglas Roberts, kid out of Lynn, Massachusetts, comes down Cal, of course, recruiting the Northeast more than any Memphis coach ever has, and uh, comes down and plays the two for us for four years. Uh, was a great three point shooter, probably our best defender. Usually locked up the other team's best player, and was just a great Tiger. And to this day, to this day. Uh, you know, maintains his uh, his stripes, and still tweets about us all the time. What you know, he tweets as if he's a fan, like he really does, uh, as if he's not one of the most storied players in the history of the program. And <laughs> so, the I, most wins in NCAA history, or something like that. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so had a, just an incredible career, played in so many big time games, and came up huge in those games. Uh, and so he he uh, has to make the list. And one of my probably my if I had to pick one guy from those you know those games those teams oh four to oh eight. He would be the guy, I think, from those Cal era teams um, that I would pick. CDR close second. We've already talked about him. Yeah, a um, couple of guys I've got. Elliot Williams came back for what was that? Josh Pastner's first season and like made sure we didn't suck. Yeah, and, he did. <laughs> and like willed us to a decent record. So twenty something wins. Yeah, always appreciated him for that. I mean, and he was fun to watch because he he would go get buckets. He wasn't passing a whole lot, but. Um, you know, it worked at the time. And then back to the championship team run teams and uh, the ones that kind of – they were the last Cal team. Uh, D-Mac, Daniel Mack, and Willie mm. Kemp mm. were two guys who I loved. Willie Kemp, man, poor guy, just kept getting five-star point guard after five-star point guard inserted above him. And, you know, he just wanted to be a Memphis Tiger. And They stayed uh, around, though, you know. Like, I mean, it's kind of crazy they guy. didn't transfer. Uh, yeah. yeah, they'd come in off the bench anytime, like our, our five-star – you know, NBA prospect would get in foul trouble. They'd come in and, and steady the ship. Andre Allen was also a big part, you know. The, Ooh, the, the, Andre Allen's In fact, one. a large part of the reason why I think we lost that game against Kansas, he was, of course, <laughs> suspended for uh, some illicit activity. Yeah. Uh, alleged illicit activity. I don't believe it. Fuck the police. But, um, yeah, Kemp and Mack were – I felt like they were both good shooters. I don't actually know that, but I always remember they just they just seemed like they were – Donnell Mack was more the shooter. I remember yeah. Donnell Mack was a Sigma and Kemp was a Q-Dog. Yep. Yeah, and because I remember they would always show their signs when they came, you know, when they either in the opening, uh, like the announcements or whatever, when they came off the bench. I, I remember that being like a staple of them. So we'll never forget them either. Yeah, and then uh, one guy who I feel like I have to mention because he saved our ass in the first round of the NCAA tournament game by scoring, I believe it was 36 points, Robert Sally, who also – like to party <laughs> with us. So uh, shout out to my boy, Rob Sally, man. He, he really saved us that, that one game. I don't even remember. Was that a, a, 
was that against uh, American University? Yeah, I, it was some. I was thinking that was like, nine. That was yeah, nine. Yeah, man, that, that was it. Yeah, y'all's freshman year. Yeah, it was the first. Yeah. It was either the first or second game because we it made it a, sweet it was sixteen. The first game. First he made, game. He made like eight threes or something. I think he set yeah. a NCAA record at that point. Yeah, he during did. that he did. game. Yeah. He uh, did. So that, that yeah, I remember he just caught fucking fire. And yeah. we were watching the game all together. At least I was in the chapter room. And yeah. every time he'd hit a three, we just started yelling Sally. And it was just like, I will never forget that guy's name because of little moments like that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, we would keep running across the street. I won't say what for. <laughs> and then my boy Tarek Black, he rounds out my team. Mm. I know Tiger fans, you know, got a salty taste in their mouth for him too. But I always liked him better than Shaq. And uh, the Tigers chose Tarek over Shaq. I mean, Shaq over Tarek. So, was what it was. Yeah, I I actually have Shaq in my team. You know, he was a kind of a uh, a good recruit in the Passner era, and you know was responsible for a lot of great moments in the the Passner era, which is the bulk of kind of like our college, honestly. Yeah. And um, had a couple of big moments. I distinctly remember a, a shot, a fadeaway jumper he hit in U- at UConn to beat them, uh, which is tough to win up there in stores. So I remember a, a, he had a game winner, but. Really, like, probably never lived up to what he theoretically should have been, but was a good college basketball player. And I'll tell you, the theater and college hoops guys, when I met them around the end of the Passner era, he was a guy they knew. Like, that was, like, they kind of make it their business to know one or two guys from every team that matters. And so, like, Shaq was the guy they knew. Like, he, they were like, Shaq Goodwin. Like, we love him. Yeah. And, you know, that was – so he, he was, like it or not, kind of the ambassador or the, the face of that those Passner teams, more so than Joe Jackson. I feel like my pers- my Shaq Goodwin on my team is a uh, Wesley Witherspoon, like a goofy dude who get a dumb technical and like cost your team a big game or something. Like Shaq stuck his arm in the rim that one time, and, like got a <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that. You know, Spoon of course made allegedly made fun of a coach on a bus. That's not the way he tells the story. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> and then uh, I think we'd all be remiss if we didn't mention Will Barton who was like the first national recruit of that Passner era who joined Joe and them and the, the Memphis, Chris Crawford, Tark Black, that whole crew. Um, Shout out Chris Crawford and Jerron Johnson too, by the way. Yeah. I, uh, I've got right. their names written. Clint, yeah. Crawford. Chris Crawford, it, it, I mean, he made, he may be the most fucked out of all of this because like he, he mattered a lot to those teams. I mean, like uh, there, there were the occasional times where he turned into a veritable Robert Sally and, yeah. and single-handedly won us games. But then there was also the times where, He'd break the first shot and be out of the game for the rest of the. Yeah, it's like is Chris here tonight? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. If so. he if he could get to that free throw line and pull up, like it was money, and then if he got going from three, he could shoot it no matter how he called it, like yeah, falling away or whatever. For sure. Just man, he's one of those guys. It, it really seems like if he would have put the time in in the gym, mm-hmm. and like deleted his social media for two years, and just went to work in the gym, like he'd probably still have an NBA career right now. He had all the tools. His vision vision was nasty. He was probably the best passer we had on those teams. He just couldn't play point guard because we had Joe and uh, Antonio Barton. Um, just, yeah, he, he's kind of like the biggest what-if guy for me, him and Spoon, really. Yeah, I mean, you, you look Chris. I mean, why, why couldn't he be a Danny Green type, you know, in the league, like a – uh, a starting two guard and, you know, and, a, and on a good team that just like hits open shots and plays really smart. And early on teams were inviting him to training camp. Every a lot of teams took a flyer on him. The Cavs, and, uh, I remember most notably. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there comes a time when you got a man up and uh, 
you know, make choices for the betterment of yourself. And I don't think he made the right choices. Probably so. Um, I guess at the big, big man spot, no love for Pierre Henderson Niles, hyphenated last name. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he, he, he's always in history, but it's like one of those guys, like, can we mention him? Cause he's yeah. like, get out of the UAB fan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and like got kicked off the team his senior year. Didn't he? I, I don't know. I, I think I, he did when we he, were in school. He like faded into obscurity. I remember like, uh, you know, he was initially like the, just the big guy that I don't know that was like shockingly on the roster even during those Cal years. Then he came back and lost a little weight and hyphenated his last name. And we were like, oh, Henderson Niles now. Like he's ready to play. And then, then he just disappeared into obscurity. So he might have very well gotten kicked off. If you say he did, he did. I mean, I don't know. I, I think he did. He was fucking nasty at Ridgeway. I'll say that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you got to – I mean, Calipari always did good, like you know, mixing the local guys with the national talent he was bringing in. So uh, if you wanted to play here, more power to him. Uh, and then Joey Dorsey, I think, probably is who I have to put at center. I mean, kind of exactly like Antonio Anderson, four-year guy, anchored the Dude, defense. it's a twist-off, dude. Huh? That's a twist-off. No, it ain't. I think you're wrong. It might very well be. I don't know. I just like to look cool. It must Even be though a, I like fuck that up. Must be a fancy Mick Ultra. <laughs> yeah, this is this is Ultra, Mick Ultra. Ultra. Yeah, Ultra, Mick, Ultra. Mick Ultra special. <laughs> my bad. My bad. <laughs> hey, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, yeah, Joey Dorsey. I mean, enough said. You know, anchored our defense and was another part of huge winning. Uh, and did get his lunch eaten by Greg Oden in the 2007 Elite Eight. Uh, after he told everyone and God and everyone in the world that he was going to shut Greg Oden down. And then Greg Oops. Oden just absolutely decimated him in every single aspect of basketball. Uh, the next year, he did not do that. Uh, he didn't say that about anybody and ended up being a much bigger contributor to a national title run. But uh, interesting, when no one said D. Rose, um, who's probably our uh, the biggest Tiger, right? I mean, aside from Most Penny. Most successful NBA career of this era, I think that. Yeah, for sure. You could argue Will Barton yeah. now. I mean, but no, I mean D Rose is still like he has an yeah. MVP. He's still good. Of the like, year, he MVP. had a great he had a great uh, season this past season with the the Pistons too. Oh, I mean, and he took us to the title game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no love for D Rose. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's just well, kind of a cop out. Like it's like I mean, we get he, it. Yeah. yeah, but also to be fair to us, he doesn't necessarily reci- reciprocate Memphis love. Yeah, so. he, like he played for Memphis, but he's not like. A tiger. Yeah, and yeah. he like, played play. for Cal. He played for Cal Perry. Yeah, Tyreek doesn't do it a lot either. He was at the dunk yeah. contest, but but that was because he was here playing. You know. Yeah. 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 But like, but Tyreek a little more than D Rose. There was one time D Rose tweeted like because he never tweets. He's not a big social media guy. But like 2012 oh, yeah. or so, he sent out like five tweets, and it was the only tweets he sent in like that year. And it was just five tweets about Memphis. And he was like, "I never said this, but Memphis was the most fun I ever had." Like. That title run, all this stuff. Like, I think he may have watched the game or something, but he had five tweets. And I think that those might be the only evidence that he ever went to school here. Like, other yeah. than, like, obviously we know, but, like, from him, you know? I mean, yeah. he really didn't talk about it a lot. Yeah, I but know I distinctly exactly remember those. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, otherwise you're right. Like, then – but then again, I mean, Joe doesn't really – it's not like he, like, claims – but I guess he's not really on a pedestal to talk about Memphis. He not platform, yeah. Yeah. Um, but who really does, though? You know, like, I mean, right. John Wall's not talking about Kentucky. Carl Anthony Towns talking about Kentucky. Um, yeah. all the Kentucky guys don't really talk much about that. Well, it's not fresh on our mind either because we didn't just have March Madness, so everybody's rooting for their teams. Mm. Like, it, I feel like they do in that scenario, you know, and a lot of our guys, well, 
D Rose and Tyreek basically don't. So, um, but yeah, and then I guess to kind of close out the Tiger news, uh, a, kind of a big week in for Tiger basketball. We had Tyler Harris transfer out. Um, what are we thoughts on that? Uh, now going to Iowa State. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that, Sam? I I, I wish it hadn't happened. I don't begrudge him. Um, I'm curious why he didn't do it this past uh, off season. It would seem to me that, you know, once all the talent came in, it would have been a good time to go ahead and get that out of the way. Maybe he was assuming this rule is going to get passed and he could play immediately. Um, it, it struck me as an odd timing because he got a lot of run. You know, Penny relied on him a lot in some games that he was hot. And so I, I feel like he played nearly as many minutes this season and was going to continue to be that six-man scorer off the bench. Um, so I was surprised to see it, but it doesn't smack of the programs in trouble. Guys are transferring. It just seems like, you know, he's, we're, we have more talented guys, which is what you want. Um, but, 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 you know, maybe not. What do y'all think? Yeah. I think part of it had to do with the fact he didn't get any starting minutes. So that, I mean, that's, that's the thing of pride, you know, he could have been that guy coming off the bench, hitting threes, you know, helping us out, but maybe he wanted more than that. I just don't think that Tyler's ever going to be. I don't think he's going to be the best player on a team. That be. yeah, yeah, that's true. Just by mere virtue of his size, like it's just yeah. like you can't. Once they want to stop him, you know. I mean, I know he can shoot from wherever, but like ultimately, in college, it's easier. You guys, Shabazz Napier, for example, but still, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for him. What do you think, Mason? Yeah, I mean, I th- I can't remember if I said this in the text thread or on a show earlier in the year, but like the best version of Tyler is being that guy who you toss in off the bench and he can score 15, um, being that lightning microwave type score. Um, and he, yeah, like you guys say, he doesn't really seem, well, one, he didn't seem to thrive in that role this year. Uh, he had a couple games, but he wasn't, you know, nearly as consistent as he was last year, which obviously last year he was starting more games, but, um, I think it was one of those things that was kind of always bound to happen, and we we wanted to act like it wasn't. And, you know, unfortunately, I actually have Tyler on my list of favorite players to watch because I loved watching him play because he could get, you know, hot and take over a game and win one for you. Um, So I'm interested to see how it goes at Iowa State for him. I hope it works out and, you know, hope he ends up finding his way to the NBA. But – it's just another one of those cases of a small guard being super hyped by the Memphis media. And I mean, he wasn't even as hyped as Joe was because he wasn't as good, but no, he, no. Could, he could fill it up. I mean, he scored 48 points in a game. I think he might've scored 50 at one point. Yeah. Um, and super fun to watch. Could, you know, he had some game winners from the volleyball line on high school courts. And so it really hurts to see him go. Um, him and Alo seem to like, be really good friends when everyone thought that they were going to hate each other and hate playing with each other. And that couldn't have been more opposite of the apparent truth or the alleged truth on Instagram, you know? Sure. Um, So I think, you know, Tyler gave us two great years and signed with us at a time when Penny needed it, the community needed it and Memphis basketball needed it. So nothing but love for Tyler Harris, man. Hate to see him go. And I do wish that, you know, in two years, he'd be the senior who scores 21 points in the title game and hits a three late in the game to win it for us. Honestly. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I was always hoping was that Alo and Tyler would stick around and, like you said, end up being those senior guards that that are ever, like so sought after in college basketball. I mean, see, you say the word sen- senior guards. I remember the four kings, uh, and, and I remember like four senior guards. Oh, the Tigers are going to win the title this year. And it was like, just because they're seniors doesn't mean they're good. But that's how like, I mean, it makes sense, you know, the experience and the age and stuff. But uh, yeah, shout out Tyler and, and hope he does well at Iowa State. Another good you know, college basketball program has seen a lot of success and in a big conference and uh, hopefully he gets some run. Yeah. And then uh, inversely, the Tigers brought in. Oh, don't talk to Jalen Green. Oh, wait, you were talking about Landers. I I, I wasn't even going to mention Jalen Green, but I guess we got to. So so Jalen Green, the number, I mean, some people have him as number three, which is surprising. Uh, But one of the best recruits in the nation who has been visiting Memphis for what, two and a half years now, um, spurned the Tigers for the NBA G League and this new pathway that they have created, um, which apparently he will be able to make up to a million dollars in his G League contract alone with incentives such as uh, like doing community services, community service and going to these educational programs put on by the NBA. Um, so if you can make a million dollars and then – on this new pathway is kind of a tough offer to beat when you, you know, can't pay players uh, when you're pin- coach Penny Hardaway. So Jalen green to the G league over Memphis and Auburn apparently had a shot, but Jalen green told, um, I believe it was Chris Haynes shortly after he committed that Memphis would have been the school he would have chosen if he was going to college. So, how you guys feel, Zach? We'll start with you because I, I feel like the Chiefs are raring to go, but I want to start with you and let them keep building. <laughs> it's like Mount Vesuvius. <laughs> uh, so overall, like as far my thoughts on the whole program and kids trying to go through that, I mean, for that kind of money, it's pretty hard to turn that down. So those the kids that are going to go into that, the 10 or 12 kids every year, the majority of them are just using college basketball as a tool to – be seen so they can get drafted the next year and go to the league. They're not kind of like uh, we mentioned like D Rose, like he was not a tiger. You know, he, he, this is a stop on his way to his ultimate goal, which I understand a lot of kids want to get where they're get to the NBA. That's probably the goal for most kids that come in on a scholarship, you know, four or five star kids that want to go to the, to the league. But when you can immediately get that much money and not have to wait a whole year and now that this is going to become such a, a focus thing where you will get the exposure because, I mean, if, if this team is down in L.A., so that's not very far from where, you know, two huge NBA franchises are located. So every single executive GM is going to be cycling through that area. You're going to get plenty of visibility. That's what the NBA is set up for. Uh, you'll get plenty of interaction with people, and that kind of money is just like really hard to turn down and also an opportunity to work on your body, how you see fit, you know, work with the trainer, the NBA trainer, have all those resources at your disposal. The league wants that program to succeed. So it's going to get plenty of resources. So I honestly, I, I could see a lot of kids, you know, the 10 to 12, however many are on this team uh, taking that path going forward. I think it will be successful uh, to some extent. I think you'll continually see kids enroll in it. 
And Sam, before we get to you, just on Zach's point, we did see another Tiger target, Greg Brown, go to Texas instead of taking this pathway to the G League. And But we also saw, saw Isaiah Todd uh, decommit from Michigan and sign with the G League. So just want to put that out there, that some kids even this year had, had similar opportunities but contracts that weren't as rich as Jalen Green's and turned it down. Uh, now, Sam, your thoughts on Jalen Green and the G League? Yeah, I was going to bring up Greg Bound too. Like that, you know, evidently, like there's still some sort of level of I want to go play in college. You know, for whatever reason, either it be a to me, it's like you know you, these coaches pour their resources and invest in you for years before you get to that decision point, point. Uh, and it's sort of a loyalty thing to some degree. I think, like, I mean, you look at, I mean, why go to Texas, dude? Like that, you know, that's not a good program. Like, it's because Shaka invested the time. He's from Texas. I get it, but like, it really doesn't make sense to go to Texas for Greg Brown to me. And so to me, that says like some level of like, he invested in me. Uh, he's still there. Like I, it's where my family is, whatever. But, or, we talk, or you all, know, the bag came through. They yeah, offer sure. more than the G League. <laughs> Which I mean, it may be, I mean, those, those alumni there at Texas are insane, insanely rich, a lot of oil money out of there. But the, uh, <laughs> the Jalen Green thing to me, and, and something we talked about is I think it's like heavily related to this pandemic. Um, I think that, Adam Silver and his crew uh, uh, amidst the litany of things, irons in the fire they have of getting the season back on track and and figuring out everything. They're also trying to figure out what to do about the fact that they're about to enter a depression as a league. We saw them extend their line of credit with the bank they uh, bank with. We've seen them cut the player salaries twenty percent. They are in trouble. You know this is this is the most lucrative time of the year for them. They've had to cancel all of their advertising and sponsorships for what would be the playoffs right now. Uh, they lost a fuck ton of money, not only in terms of uh, revenue from the games played, but also having to compensate all these other entities that aren't getting what they signed up to get. So they're in bad spot right now. So if I'm Adam Silver, I'm trying to figure out other ways to create revenue streams. And what better than a you know a, a, a prospect super team uh, that we fly around the country and internationally to play in big time games that we would probably televise on TNT or ESPN or whoever signs the highest bid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it makes sense when you have a guy like Jalen Green coming through who, I mean, I, I don't know when's the last exciting player like him. I mean, Zion and before that, Andrew Wiggins, like, uh, I mean, he is a big time Zion level prospect, you know, a, a probably consensus number one pick and what people project to be an immediate impact player. So I think Adam Silver phoned in and, stole the kid right out from under us. And we heard a lot of rumblings about how Tuesday he was ours. Precious Achua tweeted going to be a good week for Tiger fans, which means that Jalen told the coaching staff he was going to Memphis. You don't make that tweet unless you're told that he's coming, right? Right. right. All uh, of them were tweeting that. Like. Yeah. And then, you know, the next day it changed, which means the call from Adam Silver came through and he snaked him away, which it, that, that sucks. It sucks. It's bad timing. And we don't, the consolation prize of him saying that only makes it hurt a little bit worse. It's like, it's so clear that it was a thing where this 11th hour offer came in. Uh, and I really don't believe if this, if silver was dealing while this has been in motion for a long time, why didn't it happen with Zion? And you know, like what, why, why now? Like, I mean, it's not like this year was particularly important. Uh, I think it's just a matter of them not having a ton going on. And then also wanting to figure out new things to do. You see them do the horse tournament. So it's a bad, bad beat for Memphis. Uh, and you, you invest all this time in this kid, he's coming and, now Penny, I don't know if he's going to be able to have have this be his scheme where he gets in these these big time guys and then gets the Memphis kids and then wins that way because he out talents like he did at East. 
Yeah. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna have to coach, man. Like because you're uh, literally going against Adam Silver in the NBA for the type of players you planned on targeting to for how you wanted this program to run. Mm. And so you know that um, speaks to a few things. One, Penny's is that you know is Penny is that what he want wants to do at Memphis? You know, so does that speak yeah. his duration here? Um, I, you know, I, I haven't heard anything about that or not, but you know, he did. That is how he wanted to run his program because he could, and he couldn't have anticipated this happening as soon as it did, and to affect mm-hmm. him directly. I mean, they stole our kit like straight up. You know, it was yeah. it wasn't like oh, next year we're going to be having this come into play, but then it really doesn't happen. It takes a couple of years to take off, and no one really takes it seriously, and maybe it fizzles out. This like it happened probably in a way he wasn't expecting. Um, yeah. in a very and, short amount of time. And then he, so he's going against Adam Silver for these top guys where Adam Silver can offer a contract that can go up to a million dollars or more. And Penny, not only can he not offer you money at the time, we've seen a few reports circulating that they're, the NCAA is now looking to speed up the process on the name image likeness deal. Um, but Penny's also under investigation. So, Jalen Green could sign here, and then the NCAA is like, nope, no uh, postseason tournament for the Tigers, which hopefully is not the case. You know, it'd be nice if they're allowing all these uh, transfers, one-time waivers and stuff um, in the spring sports. Maybe they'll just, uh, you know, be like, hey, you know what? This old COVID-19 thing, we're not even going to worry about that Wiseman payment and this ongoing. Don't worry about it. Don't even worry about it then. Like, (laughs) hey, go have a – Barbecue a cozy corner and get the hell out of my town. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. So, I mean, tough love, but uh, Penny did bounce back, which he's been prone to do. Penny and his staff. I won't put it all on him. Um, and they got a arguably the best freshman transfer on the market, or the best transfer on the market in Landers Nolly the second, I believe, That's from right. uh, Virginia Tech. Originally committed to play for Buzz Peterson, and then he uh, was let go. Stayed and played this year in the ACC on a team that was pretty not great. And I think he averaged something like 15 points and proved that he could score. But it's one of those things: see a you know good stats, good stats, bad team guy, or can he do this efficiently on a good team? And he wasn't efficient, but he can score. He can get a bucket. He's about 6'7", so we'll play on the wing alongside DJ Jeffries. Um, you know, I I can't lie and say I watched a bunch of Landers Nolly, but seems that people who are kind of in tune with these things thinks that the guy they think he can play. So I, I'm all for it. Add a guy who can hoop. Yeah, I mean, we talked about uh, um, last year the, the not having a guy that could go and get us a bucket you know not having a, a go-to guy at the end of a game where you give the ball to our best player was a guy who couldn't create his own shot you know kind of relied on put back dunks or occasionally got to the rim but really didn't make anything happen on his own so um you know that was a situation where maybe now we have that guy uh, so length and scoring on the wing is never a bad thing to have and uh, I, I i have no idea what to expect from this next year tiger team though and I think it's completely going to depend on how, what big jump Boogie makes, uh, yeah. and, and excuse me, and how well he's willing to lead this team. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So that's enough Tigers talk. We just did fifty-two minutes on them. Um, yeah, I got. 
I, I got it. Yeah. So ha, have you, you watched the new uh, Jordan documentary things, the, the Rodman episode was cool and everything like, but I feel like I knew most of that stuff. I didn't know the Vegas story. That was crazy. Yeah. But, but he's like commonly thought of as the, the weirdo in the NBA, but really he's not like, he's not that weird. He just, he likes to dye his hair and he like, didn't like listen to the same music that all those guys did and was probably introverted and channeled it in a weird way. In fact, I remember reading or listening to an, another podcast about him or an interview. He's actually struggled with a bunch of mental illness his whole life. Like, um, yeah, you know, uh, depression and like he, he, he was super, super not confident in himself either as personally or as a basketball player. And so he, he like didn't think girls liked him and like had a just a wild relationship with his mother too, I think. Uh, so he was like heavily influenced by a bunch of different chemical imbalances and whatnot. So his story is kind of like very sad. And I think it's a lot of times made out to be the sideshow, like, Oh, look at this carnival animal. Like he, he dyes his hair and he's zany. And it's like, you know, I think I wish the whole story would have been told. Maybe they don't have time to do it, but he, he was kind of made out to be a sideshow attraction in this episode. Um, which I didn't like, but whatever. The one thing I did like though was when he started talking about rebounding, and like you could tell he's like a fucking genius. Like yeah. the way he was like visualizing it and discussing how he was like, uh, you know, Larry Bird shoots it like he's got side spin this way, and then like, but Magic he doesn't really have spin on his, so I know where to be. And then like there was all those flashbacks of him playing, and you would see like when a shot would go up, you know, he he would look to see who was shooting it, and it would move on the court. Like he wouldn't just wait, box out he would move to where he knew the ball was going to go. So he was a genius when it came to rebounding. I mean, like we basketball genius. It was, he found his way to do the thing that he was meant to do, which was play basketball and rebound. And then those Pistons years where he was the best defender in the NBA. Right. Uh, and, and like, I mean, would lock down perennial guys, magic bird, you know, to, to name two. Like uh, they would put him on whoever, no matter what position you played. Yeah. Like Dennis would guard you. He was the, I mean, you know, like we're big Tony Allen guys, obviously we, we like defense a lot mm-hmm. in Memphis. And I mean, he, he was the Tony Allen of that era. Like, I mean, like it, the big man, Tony Allen, I guess the four Tony Allen, instead of Tony being more of a guard, but just the guy that took hung his hat on defense, you know, wanted to do all the hard playing things. And uh, that, that was really cool to see that and him get that shout out as a, as a legitimate genius of the game in his own right. Um, I, I read the article about um, when he made the all-star team during his time with the Pistons, they uh, they booed him because he was still like hated because he was on the bad boy Pistons and he always like fucked yeah. up everyone and he turned to the person the MC I forgot like who it was might have been Jackie McMullen uh, and asked like started crying and said like do they actually not like me and yeah. like it wept you know like before he ran out onto the All Star stage so it was just like I mean the guy had like serious issues you know not not issues that no one else faces, but like, I feel like that's kind of something that I would like to see more talked about was that, you know, we see Kyrie talking about it, Kevin Love talking about dealing with mental illness in the league, but this was a guy that we now like don't retroactively talk about that with. We're like, Oh, he just dated Madonna and like dyed his hair. Like there's more to the story, you know? Yeah. So, so the Dennis Rodman off the court thing that I remember most from uh, being young in, in the early nineties was him in a wedding dress. Do you remember what that was about? Uh, some stunt like he married himself um it was some okay. publicity stunt like uh because he started out just, for help basically yeah he just acted out like he just wanted it was a clear case of like crying out for attention like you said and and just doing these these ridiculous publicity stunts and um in an era where the nba was you know fairly clean cut I mean, you think about the stars of that age this is pre-iverson yeah. you know this is pre these guys come in and start dressing however they want to dress stern in, incorporates the 
the dress code and but that's before that everyone's kind of lame i mean jordan's like a bad boy and he's kind of like he can appear really buttoned up even though i think in these next few episodes we're going to see that he was actually what he was doing you know gambling his ass off cheating on his wife and and um you know, being a general villain, uh, but, but managing to, he can turn it on when he's in the public. Um, but yeah, yeah that's, it, it led into it at the end of the final episode yeah. when him talking to Scott Burrell, yeah. like you're what you're an alcoholic. You drink every day. Yeah. Um, so Burrell gets some serious shine on that episode and, uh, <laughs> and apparently by all accounts, they were like really good friends on yeah, that, ra- that team. Random. He was like his rook. Um, and, and so he, he and, and really, I think Jordan's one of those guys, and we know all these people too. And me, me and you might even be kind of like this. But the more you make fun of someone, the closer you are with them. Kind of like you're, mm-hmm. you show a comfortability. And I think Jordan was, if he didn't fuck with you, he didn't really talk to you at all. Right. Um, so that that was a that was a cool little moment. Uh, anything me, else jump out to you? And, and yeah, let me bounce back to Dennis Rodman because uh, my boy Cam sent this quote today, and I'm not sure where it was from, but it's from Carmen Electra. And she said, one day when the Bulls had an off day from practicing, Dennis said he had a surprise for me. He blindfolds me and we get on his motorcycle. When he finally takes my blindfold off, we're standing at the Bulls practice facility, center court. It was crazy, like two kids in a candy store. We were eating popsicles from the fridge and pretty much having sex all over the damn place. In the physical therapy room, in the weight room, obviously on the court. To be honest, I don't think he's ever worked out so hard in his life. so shout out rodman um, yeah hey, you know. hey shout out carmen electra uh at whatever age she was when this 48 was recorded <laughs> yeah 48 years old yeah it looks good and uh yeah i mean like you know he obviously dated his fair share of like huge women at the time and uh that was a that, that was a rodmanism for sure um another thing i want to talk about pistons i watched the bad boy pistons doc i've seen a lot of pistons stuff mm-hmm. i've read this jordan book uh which we're having the author on thursday it's gonna be awesome um and it's kind of like the the documentary 3.0. I mean, it's like, you know, the, this is like watching the highlights of what is really the story underneath everything. But the Pistons had what, what a lot of people term as a persecution complex because they came in, they dethroned the, the Bird Celtics, you know, one mm-hmm. of the two best teams of the 80s. They dethroned the Lakers, the Magic Lakers in the finals. And then they won two finals without like a note, not in a big market and not with a, a marketable star. Isaiah Thomas, of course, their point guard and probably their biggest, their best player um, was, was fantastic, fucking nasty. I mean, um, but didn't really do it for the numbers and just kind of made his team win. Didn't really have like a lot of stars on that team either. You had a bunch of guys with their lunch pails. Very comparable to the Grizzlies of, of, of our time. And so I have like a soft spot in my heart for teams like that. They get a really bad rap now because of that like walk off thing. And I, I don't think that's a big deal, first of all. Like I really don't like I get it, like, but I really don't think it's that big of a deal to the point where we're still talking about it 30 years later. And also, like, they should have a persecution complex because we've seen it. The, the league wants certain players to advance. The league wants certain players to do well. That player is never in Memphis. I mean, we have a player right now, they should, but there's still another player down in, in uh, the Gulf that they like a little bit more. And the league wants nothing more than Zion Williamson to be in the, the playoffs this year instead of John Morant. And they will probably stop at nothing, including eliminating the seventh and eighth seed games, <laughs> unless Zion were in. You know, it, and, yeah. and a lot of people laugh about this and, and, and talk about how the Pistons had this persecution problem. But I think it's because those people, and I'm targeting the ringer here because I've heard a lot of talk about this. They're fans of fucking Boston and Lakers and yeah. big time markets where they never had to worry about this. They've never had to worry about like being the small market that's had to face this. But you have to know, look further than a game seven where Zebo gets kicked out 
uh, for punching Steven Adams uh, than to see that this whole, this thing's all rigged, man. And so I get it. And that's, that's why I've always loved the Pistons, those Pistons teams. And then the, the 2000s era, the Chauncey Billows, Rip Hamilton era Pistons teams that kind of spat in the face of the super teams and managed to win regardless um, without like a notable superstar. Yeah. I, I wish I had a, some type of connection to those bad boys teams to, for me to like have a reason to watch those games when I was growing up. Cause I do feel like I would have been a fan of them. Um, especially if they weren't playing Michael Jordan. Uh, but w- like with the shaking hands thing, yeah, I don't think it's a big deal either. I understand MJ still being pissed and the Bulls still being pissed about it. Yeah, sure. It, but who but, cares if you're just like a beat writer? Yeah, 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 like, <laughs> yeah it's, it's not a big deal. And uh, a lot of times, like you, you were listening, if you were listening to any of the podcasts today, they they were like talking about safety on the court because teams used to rush the court with a minute left. And I mean. I don't even think that was the case. I think this was just like, man, we don't fuck with y'all. We're not shaking your hands. And I'd be lying if I say, said I haven't done that when I played basketball at much lower levels. But, uh, yeah, it, especially in the 90s, dude, like there wasn't – you didn't expect cameras to be on you at all times and stuff. Like if LeBron did it now, sure, he, he's going to get persecuted, um, which I believe he has before for doing this. But, um, yeah, I don't care. Like, yeah, I mean, and, and we've seen the, the the Pistons have now retroactively said, like, we did it because the Celtics did it to us, so it was a torch passing in the East. So, yeah. you know, Bur- Bird and all those guys walked off, we beat them. Only guy that stayed on the court was Mikhail, and that's because we happened to catch him, and so he felt obligated to shake Isaiah's hand. So we did, and that's probably kind of some bullshit, but because I mean, the Celtics did it because they didn't fuck with the Pistons, and so the, yeah. that's why, yeah. that, that you know, like, I don't understand why everyone has to get on their moral high horse and act like they've always done the right thing and taken the high road in every circumstance when they've never played in such a high energy situation in their lives like that. You know, I can't fathom what that's like. Them walking off the court is way worse or way less worse than what they did to the bulls. Every time they played <laughs> like at the beating that Michael right. Jordan took and could like have ruined his that. career could have ended yeah. his career with any like, of those drives of the paint. Yeah. It, I, there's been times when I, we've done something or performed a, you know, athletic activity and the other team was embarrassed. So they walked away and you knew they were mad and, uh, you know, it's a great feeling at, for when you're the team that beats them, and like you're like, man, they so mad they were walked off the court. Like that's great. Um, so yeah, I, I I do feel like I would have been a fan of the Bad Boys Pistons um, if I had been in that era or watched them. I mean, I like the O three. Is that right? O three Pistons. O four. O three. O four was the one that won. But then, but they, they were competitive that whole decade. yeah for a couple of years. They, 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 so. Yeah, they they took the Celtics and the, any, any team that that came out of the East. They were always in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, and, and, and just lost. They, they made it to the finals two years in a row. Lost to San Antonio in 05 and seven. Yeah, so they were right there, man. They were exact. Got over that hump the Grizz never could playing that kind of basketball. Granted, they had like a Chauncey Bills and Rip Hamilton playing incredible, and Ben and Rasheed Wallace playing incredible. They really had like caught lightning in a bottle uh, with those teams. But um, yeah, so th- this all caused me to think about Isaiah Thomas's and his career and how oh, good he was. And that's hold on one, before you get into that. Uh, them walking off the court didn't have anything to do with how much Michael dislikes Isaiah. <laughs> like, like it's way deeper than them walking yeah. off the court. So, like, if if you're someone who thinks they would have been friends if it would have shook his hand like no that's what wasn't gonna happen <laughs> like yeah yeah there, there's a lot of bad blood there a lot of underhand dealings and 
And something that, you know, in the book they go into a lot was that Michael and Dumars, the uh, starting two guard for the, and often defensive assignment, uh, Michael and him played cards one night after the first times they met up in the playoffs and their wives hit it off. And him and Dumars became really good friends off the court, golfed all the time. Um, they, they just like were really good friends. He was his first friend in the league, probably outside of his teammates and probably even close to his teammates. And so they had that he, he had this friendship with Dumars going on the whole time that this era was happening. And his team was Dumars team was beating the shit out of Jordan. So I have to imagine that was an interesting thing, but he never fucked with Isaiah. Like Isaiah was a really, really like mean guy, um, even though he appears so nice, like his voice sounds so nice. I don't know when I was, Isaiah pops on the screen. I don't know how you feel, but like yeah. he seems like such a nice guy. Like, like a his, soothing voice. Yeah, yeah, his voice is nice. It's like real friendly sounding. You're like, oh, I, this guy seems like really friendly. Like somebody's and, uncle that's never been married or something. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah, might be yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, he does kind of have like a little bit of that going on, like in, in, the, in the best possible ways, though. Like, uh, yeah. And uh, I, I agree. And so, but he was apparently just like a fucking mean demon type, like venomous guy and would say the things to you on the court that you know, he played those those mind games that don't really play much anymore. Yeah. Um, but he was nasty. He was the best player on two title-winning teams and, and teams that constantly you know, were vouching for the title for four or five years in an era where Michael Jordan was in the league, Bird was in the league, Magic was in the league. I mean, the, the, hist- you know, the Mount Rushmore of players were still in the league, and Isaiah managed to get to the mountaintop two times in a row against an MVP Jordan. So he was probably the last point guard to win uh, the title as the best player on his team um, mm. that I can think of. You could argue Chauncey Billups in 04, but I would argue Sheed or Rip Hamilton on those teams was probably the best player. And, and even the better argument is they were all they equal were puzzle pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Truly, truly. Um, but otherwise... I mean, Steph, Steph, is the, I mean, Steph is the best shooter ever. Yeah, he didn't win finals MVP, though. And you know they were begging to give it right. to him. Uh, and, and, but like, and he was the best player on those teams, but it truly took like a a team effort and like, you know, there was a couple of clay Thompson, 70 point game, yeah. you know, like or crazy yeah. circumstances. And you have Iguodala wins finals MVP one year and then, you know, KD from there on. So, um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of potential point guards to go up against it. Yeah. Sure. And you have a, you have a Allen Iverson makes to the finals one year, kind of playing the do all point guard and, and, you know, yeah. gets thrown by Kobe. Um, but uh, the, the point where I'm going with this is, can the Grizz win the title with Jaws the best player? Um, and and like, it, it, or or do we need someone else? Do we need a another guy that will be our best player, or do we just need more help for Ja? What what is your opinion? And this is entirely speculative, of course, but I think there's a point to be made here that if your best player is a point guard, it's easier to lock that guy down. You know, imagine if we're playing LeBron in the finals or whoever is the eventual LeBron. You know, and and LeBron guards Ja. You know, like mm-hmm. imagine peak, you know, imagine Ja takes us to the promised land and then peak LeBron's there. Like, of course, he's going to lock Ja up by pure, pure virtue of their size. Right. OK, so at the beginning of the season and even midway through the season, I would have said that you can't win like Jaron is going to have to be our best player for us to win a championship. Um, and that's that was my thoughts pre-draft when I was saying, oh, we should take RJ over Ja. And that was fucking dumb. Uh, I think we can win a championship with John Morant as our best player based on what, what I saw his rookie year. Um, and you mentioned it. You've mentioned it two weeks in a row on Sunday nights around, uh, you know, nine o'clock central time. You're like, hey, this kind of reminds me of Ja <laughs> when we're watching the last dance. Yeah. And uh, I, 
you the first week you said it and I agreed. I just didn't say anything back. And then this week I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Like he's just got some of those special moments. Um, killer mentality wants to destroy his opponent. Um, you know, obviously this is purely speculative, but it seems like John Morant has it. He's got whatever it makes superstars tick. Um, and, you know, I think we can win with him being the best player, but I think also he's going to need a running mate who can score on his own. Cause the thing with Jaws, he's not just, he doesn't have to score to be effective, although obviously it's helpful, but he can create so much um, from driving. His vision is great. You know, he's, he's kind of like a mini LeBron in that way. Uh, just offensive genius. It seems like, like mm-hmm. just has a feel for the game that most people, even and by people, I mean, most NBA players do not have, like he just knows where you're going to be. Or you, you see those MJ spin layups and like, he's just like fucking with the defense. Like, Oh, foul me. I'm just going to spin and throw it behind my head and it's going to switch. Like, I can see Ja doing that. Like, so yeah, I think we can win with Ja being our best player. Uh, that's where Mason stands on April, you know, 27th, 2020. Yeah. Um, I, I feel that way too, but it, it, it flies in the face of all history that we have, you know, and yeah. there's yeah. gotta be a reason for that. Uh, and I think that if it's possible, the team has to be, be, be built perfectly around him, which is obviously what they're going to do. But I do think I've gotten to the point now where I don't think Jaron's ever going to be better than Ja. Um, like yeah. I don't think there's ever a point where he like leapfrogs him, and suddenly, you know, year four, we're like, oh, I can't believe we ever thought Ja was better than Jaron because Jaron's now like Kevin Durant incarnate or whatever he's going to become. Mm-hmm. Um, but just purely based on their, you know, a little bit of mentality stuff, but uh, you know, Jaron doesn't have quite the IQ that 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 Ja does. Uh, but he has very defined skill set, which is very useful and very complementary to Ja, which is great. So I think we already have like one piece there. Um, ja is interesting, man. He he is not a shooter like Steph. He's not a shooter like Nash. He's more like Jason Kidd, probably. He's more of like a facilitator mm-hmm. uh, and and smart and great passer. Um, so he, we haven't seen a guy like you know. You think you think back to those Suns teams with Kidd and Stoudemire. And maybe you're like, oh, maybe that's kind of what we model ourselves after. Another team that never made it to the finals, but was good. Uh, you, I don't know. Like you just, you, you wonder. I think we need to get, we need to hang our hats on defense. Probably if we're ever gonna get there, we're never gonna score in droves. Even though we saw them do it a little bit, but uh, I compared Ja to the same year, the rookie year. Wall, Chris Paul, uh, Derek Rose, Isaiah Thomas, um, the, the Pistons one, and Jason Kidd, and he was like better than every single one of them at the same age yeah so that's good company i mean no doubt the kid's going to be a star but really it don't matter you know unless we get that rank like you know like it's cool and all like it's cool for him to bring the but while we have this kid here like we need to be like really thinking about how we're going to get there because there's no telling like where he's going to go eventually i mean i you know we can't promise he's going to be a grizz jersey forever and to squander that you know when what we have is pretty pretty awesome and historic you know, would be awful. Yeah, it's so interesting to think what these guys will be like, even at you know twenty three. Because we, when we think of the great players, we think of the finished product, obviously. But like, are they going to be you know shit talking, or are they going to be the best friends uh, with everyone in the league? Like, are they going to work hard and really obtain 
what their talent level will allow them to attain, or are they just kind of going to be cool with being good players in the league? Like so much to be, to be, you know, written on these two guys. And that's the great thing about being a Grizzlies fan right now is like, you can, you can imagine a championship with those two guys leading your team to it and not sound stupid. Like and yeah. we'll, you think about before the draft lottery night, when we got jaw or the number two pick, like we were in doomsday and now here we are dreaming about these two guys leading Chris Wallace's parade down Beale street. <laughs> you think how quickly the tide can turn too. But I mean, you, if you'd listen to any of the ringers past redraftables, you will quickly realize how dude, guys can It's scary. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be like, Oh my God, dude, like this guy was the next guy. And then, or even like a Tracy McGrady, right. I mean, who has had all the talent in the world. And then seemed to love the game, but just never quite got there. A little bit of injury, a little bit of that, a little bit of situation, a little bit of fit, you know, whatever. Like Vince Carter, you know, I mean, like yeah. it, you know, oh, I never really that. mattered. I loved when they said, uh, you know, kids today think Vince Carter was better than Tracy McGrady. And it's like not the case at all. <laughs> yeah, not not the case, like literally and also not the case, you know, if you were to put them in the perfect situation for both of them. Like, uh, yeah, that, that's yeah, that's it's scary stuff, man. And then. So I just like, I just know that we have something special now based on what I've seen so far. And then all the stats back it up too, that, you know, he could have a huge year too. Would love for him to get some playoff run. Hope it comes back. Yeah. I think that'd be really valuable for him. Um, Brandon Clark too. We got to include him in there. He's a, I listened to a few rookie of the year or, you know, NBA awards podcast and Brandon Clark for most people is number two if they're not voting for Zion and if they are voting for Zion, he's number three, even ahead of Kendrick Nunn. Um, so to think we came out of this draft with two all rookie players, which granted, you know, there's plenty of players who are all rookie and end up having bad NBA careers, but these two guys um, to pair them with Jaron Jackson, who was all rookie last year. I mean, fucking a, <laughs> it's so exciting it is do, do you think the next guy we add we need one more guy i think we we definitely know we need one more guy the, the, this team as is cannot you're not going to win with dylan brooks as your third guy like yeah. you're I, not not win big anyway um you're going to barely make the you know barely make the eight seed and as we've seen uh so who do you who do you who's like the the most ideal and who's like your worst case target for that that wing player because i will say that most of the title teams either have a Hall of Fame Tim Duncan esque, you know, player that is going to be renowned as the best player of his position, or it's a very versatile wing player that ends up being the best player. You know, like LeBron, of course, is the the classic yeah. example. But even going back to D Wade slashing wing player, a Kobe Bryant, a, a notable two guard wing player. Like you think about these guys, Paul Pierce on those Celtics teams, uh, Rip Hamilton. So. You, the, these guys are very are scoring wings that are very versatile, uh, and otherwise, like it, it's tough to win. So, who uh, do you target at that position? Because that is, you know, in theory, we bring someone and we slide them right in there. And who do you like? I think at this moment, if I have my choice of anyone that's you know semi available in the NBA, it'd be Bradley Bill. Just yeah. you know, can shoot it, can cut. Uh, in theory, can play D against solid wing players. So do you think Bradley Bill would want it to be his team? And if so, do you think he would clash with Ja 
out of the gate because Jaws uh, the yeah, alpha on this see, team. Yeah, I'm not looking for that. I, I, I'm looking for someone who's like, okay, this kid's special. I can come in and be his Robin. I can be his Pippin to his Jordan, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Um, and do you think do you think Pippin to your Jordans tastes better going down to these guys? Like, how do you think they mentally? If you're an all star and you want to go join a team and be the two guy, how are you telling yourself? Like, what are you telling yourself to sleep at night? You know, when you've been the guy your whole career. We got a chance to win. Like, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to score 20 regardless because I can hoop. And, like, people are going to talk about me. I'm going to be in the all-star game. and be first or second, you know, maybe third team all-NBA. But if I get third team, I still get these incentives and, uh, you know, we're winning. So, that's kind of what I would sell. It's like, you're going to get yours no matter what because Ja is not – he's probably not at his best when he's the leading scorer. So he's gonna look for ways to get you open. You're opposite. You're on one side. Jaron Jackson's on the other. Uh, you know we got shooters everywhere, and no one can guard Ja one on one. So what do you think defenses are gonna do? Like you're gonna get open shots. Come play with us. It seems to be a great situation to sell to someone a wing player, which is what we need. Uh, and and the team seems to have great chemistry, and so it seems to be like someone comes in and would be would like everyone right off the bat. Um, who who's the the worst guy that you could see. I mean, Bradley Beal, obviously he, he's older. He's 27, 28. So he, yeah. he would kind of, it would be an interesting deal where maybe he's the Horace Grant to the first John Morant right. era. And then you know, you bring in like a Brandon Ingram or something later, uh, you know, down the road when who's similarly aged, but um, who, well, who's, who, some, who's your best guy? Bradley Beal's probably it. I mean, like he's the one commonly thought of, I mean, uh, Brandon Ingram will be most, most ideal for me, but he's probably not as readily available because of the, He's probably going to sign this deal and no way the Pelicans trade him. Um, I don't think, but he, he yeah. to me isn't a guy that can run with them. Probably not a, thought of as much as a shooter and more of an, a, a slasher, uh, but still can get buckets. And that's, that's what we're going to need from that wing spot. More versatile defender though, for sure. But one thing we, one name we brought up recently is Zach Levine, you know, the, the wing scorer yeah. in Chicago, who is, you know, who can score, man, he can score in droves and he's become quite a good shooter. Uh, and it was it was reasonably efficient this past year. I know that's always the knock on him, but I thought he had a pretty good season there in Chicago, and it didn't lead to winning, which you know. So I get. Yeah, so I, I think what peop, some people perceive perceive Zach Levine to be as just like a, which I don't think he is, but just a score a chucker who you know scores a lot of points sometimes on bad teams. I don't know. I can't think of who I'm trying to say, but that that would be my you know least ideal fit with this team. It's just getting someone to score because we need someone who can get buckets. Um, I want someone who, first of all, is willing to play defense like Justice Winslow. Um, because when it comes down to it, we have John Jaron who can score, but I think they would be better if we had one more person on the wing who could score, but. I'm not sure who my worst ideal fit is, and I I think that's a credit to Zach Kleiman just because I haven't been thinking about shitty trades that we might make. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we're an interesting spot, too. The, um, whoever we trade for to put with this edition of the Grizz, I think, doesn't necessarily have to be the answer, so we can kind of take a shot on somebody. Like, um, yeah. and, and if it doesn't work, then so what? Like, Jaws 22? Like, uh, so what? Then you have like eight more years of prime to fuck around with and try to figure it out. But like when the Spurs um, traded George Hill, Hill for Kawhi, it was like, uh, I mean, this is probably not going to hurt us that bad. And, you know, 
we can pick this kid who we really believe in and he might carry the torch and he might not. And he did, you know, for a minute, regardless of the, everything that happened after the fact, but it's kind of something like that. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I mean, I don't know. The thing is, I don't think we're going to get at that guy in the draft because we're too good now, which is a great yeah. problem to have. So, you know, the, maybe we take a guy in a late, first round and develop them into something. I don't know. Maybe we get lucky with a Kawhi type, but I, I that's the, those are, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's hard. Uh, and or that's easy. Actually the opposite of shooting fish in a barrel. It's like shooting fish in the ocean. Um, and yeah, so like, I, I, I don't know, like I, but I'm always looking now to, for that extra piece that we can add and what that's going to look like. And, and to me that, that player's already in the league. It's not a prospect. Um, so yeah. likely yeah. is older than John Jaron and, someone that we bring in and, and when we do it, I don't know, you know, if it's next season or what, but it's a bummer. We couldn't see the rest of this season play out and see what these guys are made of down the stretch and see if they can hold that eight seat. Man. Yeah. No kidding. Two years in a row. We didn't get to see the end of Jaron season. Yeah. I mean, and, and one thing we've talked about is that theoretically that adds years to his playing life, you know, but also I'd like to see him, you know, finish a fucking season. Right. Uh, not to mention the fact they're not playing any minutes comparatively. One thing I noticed when I compared Jot all these guys is he plays like seven less minutes a game than yeah. all of these guys. Derek Rose yeah. playing 38 minutes a game is his, his rookie year. Now, granted, we saw what happened with him, but um, that's a, a good thing that we're limiting these minutes. So, but Ja was uh, better than all of them playing his minutes now, which is right. pretty, is per 36, he blew them all of the water, yeah. which is something you want to see. That's great. Um, yeah, which is crazy. I mean, I and I picked like the best point guards I can think of. Yeah, you know, including back to Isaiah and uh, up as recently as you know John Wall, for example. So that was exciting to see, man. I mean, like, and and to see him better than all of those guys, and we know all of those guys ended up being good. Now, granted, I didn't think about the point guards that didn't turn out that had good rookie years and probably have similar. You don't want to think about that. You only want to think about the good. Hey, you choosing the data, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a good thing about stats. Uh, you haven't watched any of the Grizz rewatchables with Chris Vernon and Tony Allen, correct? I have not. I've seen clips. Okay. Have, have you? Yeah, I think uh, any Grizzlies fan should watch it. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, if I heard you- Tony refers to himself in the third person, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Tony, Tony's pretty good. I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, great. I'm not like, damn, I'll watch that 1,700 times, but I definitely will watch it again. Yeah. Uh, just to get their hit Tony's thoughts on the game mainly, um, and just to relive those moments. Um, so that so far they've done the Mike Conley mask game in Golden State game two, uh, which we won, and Mike went ham. And then they did game one of the 2011 series against the Spurs, which was the first win uh, in playoff in franchise playoff history. And then of course we did our own rewatchables on game six when we clinched. Uh, and you can find that on the uh, Barn Burner Podcast Network feed if you're interested in listening to us rewatch that game in which Zebo went ham. Sure did. All right, man. Well, that's that's all the notes I had. I don't know if you had anything else to talk about, but I was ready yeah, for basketball to be back. I got to give myself one more shout out or, or one shout out because uh, in lieu of basketball, I've been playing a whole lot of NBA 2K and our our friends over at Grizzly Bear Blues, GBB, put on this 2k tournament for charity they're raising money for different charities in memphis mid-south food bank st jude who are dealing with the covid19 pandemic and uh, your boy will be in the championship game wednesday 
Not hey, sure. but uh, supposedly it's going to be streaming on GBB's Twitch. Um, unfortunately, I've had to beat the Grizzlies three times in a row to make it to the championship. But uh, who are you playing with in the championship game? Or can uh, you ta- can you say? I think I'm going to turn it on them and I'm going to play with the Grizzlies. Let let Ja bring his first one home. Let you get a taste of what it's going to be like. All right. I love that kind of swag. Uh, hope we make a trade for Bradley Beal before the game <laughs> and can stockpile the roster a little bit. But it's yeah. exciting. So you can check that out on Wednesday night, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, and you can check uh, GBB's Twitter feed. They've got all the information for the streaming and stuff. So well, we wish you luck. Uh, we have uh, uh, Mr. Lazenby, who's the author of the Jordan book and 60 other sports books. Uh, is coming on the podcast on Thursday. So we'll be able to talk to him about his writing of the Jordan, kind of the pivotal Jordan text and uh, maybe some other projects he's working on. So so check out the the podcast for that coming up soon. Yep. All right. We out of here. Appreciate y'all listening. Later.